episode 22 the four incomes sin part 2 greetings most beloved and welcome to christianity for dummies please don't be offended by the title because in all seriousness if you assume you know everything then you may remain unteachable each of us ought to be able to self analyze before we ever try to pass on any kind of information to anyone else we all need to be self aware as in look at ourselves with objective lenses and non biased eyes and then carry forward with our lives each with their own unique calling and each striving each moment to love those that happen to be introduced to them in every way possible as themselves who knows we may even now find out just how much we have in common with each other regardless of every identity and how helpful each of us are to each other's well-being as a colony of ants or a hive of bees works together all for one and one for all we may be able to change for the best the rest of human history i am an optimist and so through this one life i've been given i aim and choose to remain positive in all circumstances the ones i can control and the ones i cannot as life here is very temporal as a morning dew melts away in the early morning heat of the sunrise so do our lives shine but for a mere moment and then that's it So whether God gives you a moment here on earth or you get to be 120 make the most of your life and remember your creator while you still can The young may feel untouchable and the old age aches and pains may become unbearable with age however both generations will come to pass when their time finally arrives and there is nothing any of us can do about that even in this day and age where machines may be able to prolong our days for another season or two please don't squander your life with carelessness and wild living because you're incredibly valuable priceless and with great worth if your life were to be cut short either by life circumstances or even by your own hand the world would be missing a fundamental piece of the puzzle that only your life holds no one is more important than someone else no one has more value than any other person we're all created in the very image of our creator perfect for love in every way and with that let us begin i have stated before and i will keep emphasizing the fact that i am not a trained scientist or a theologian i am simply a guy who genuinely wants to know who god is as well as what it means to be a christian after careful consideration of all the religions i know of as well as briefly understanding their ideologies i came to realize that the bible stands alone in what i would consider the most logical source of truth as it is historically accurate scientifically verifiable and more relevant to us humans 
explains every aspect of our lives in the greatest of details. And this is why I have chosen this collection of books to be the very foundation of truth and my GPS in how I view life. In the pages of the Bible, we see ourselves individually as well as global citizens. We are informed in greatest details what God is like along with what our human hearts are capable of. From the origins of life in the beginning and running through human history, we will come to see who God is along with what it means to be a Christian as it is written. I fully intend to carry on in this journey until it is finished. However, in my time, if my time, sorry, should come for me to leave this earth, either due to natural or even unnatural causes, please know that you now have a template onto which you may base your own journey on in these episodes and you too can get any canonized biblical translation that speaks to you in order to know who God is along with what it means to be a Christian. I wanted to put that as a reminder to myself of how fragile life is, but more importantly, to inform each and every one of you that you can know God and know that know what Christianity is all about by yourself and you do not need any human to direct you or instruct you towards this truth. Helpful as some people may be in guiding you towards your Creator, I believe that the Creator wants to reveal Himself to you just as He did to Adam and Eve and we will see to the entire creation. Man's deception is something we will reference back over and over again but for now, let us return to our story, shall we? On our journey in the last episode, we found Eve and potentially Adam speaking to a very cunning serpent, just as God spoke to the man and the woman and the way we speak now. I'm not too sure it is important or relevant to ask what language they were speaking. I believe the important note is to realize that they were communicating with each other. Another important thing to ask could be, how did this snake turn out to be different than all the other animals? I have never been a fan of snakes, period. And maybe this is due to the fact that snakes, where I grew up in Africa, could kill you with their venom within minutes of an encounter. My half-brother even used to share with us that there are kinds of snakes that upon having their heads chopped off would slither away tail first as if they had two heads. The dreaded cobra is an abundant species in Africa and so are black mambas. I was once sent on a little errand, as was the case many times, to go under my parents' bed to retrieve maize flour that we used to make an African staple food named ugali. Because of the size of our home, the pantry used to be under my parents' bed and so I went to do as I was told. Upon getting on all fours and then crawling a little bit under the bed, I was met... Sorry, 
Upon getting on all fours and then crawling a little uh, in order to grab the sack containing the maize flour in the semi-lit area under the bed, I was met with two dark eyes point blank in front of my face. It was a black mamba. One of the most poisonous snakes and indeed the most poisonous snakes in the world, depending on who you may ask, was face to face with me and I caught it by total surprise as if it was indeed just waiting for me. Why to strike? Because it is also one of the most aggressive as well as it attacks many times per second with a neurotoxic venom. My scrawny little African body would have had minutes to be rushed to the hospital and hopefully the hospital would carry the antivenom developed a little earlier in a South African research center. In other words, chances were very slim I survive an attack. Screaming, I ran back outside and summoned my oldest half-brother to come to my aid, and so he did. My brother was able to drag the snake outside our home where he killed it by repeatedly hitting it over the head. Surprisingly enough, this worldly recognized and sufficiently studied snake's genes, along with its deadly character, never attempted to bite me. It simply stared at me with point-blank range uh, of delivering enough poison to kill me in minutes and did not move. Even while being dragged outside our little dwelling and then receiving head blows that killed it, one of the fastest and fiercest snakes in the world remained in silence to its last fatal blow. Let me also mention here that the snake was also more than two meters long, so I certainly, uh, so certainly, sorry, of a 10 feet long tip of the head to its tail. Now, before animal activists get in an uproar regarding our harsh treatment towards the snake, please note three things. First, this snake species is not even close to being endangered. It is classified as least concern according to the International Union for Conservation sorry, of Nature, IUCN. Second, this snake is highly poisonous, and so since it was in a relatively highly populated area, chances are someone, someone would have eventually ended up being attacked, and chances are that they would have passed away from their injuries, and the animal could have simply and swiftly just slithered away. Thirdly, we didn't know any better. There are no systems set in place that would come, trap, and relocate the snake or any other agency that would help. Not in those days anyways. In the majority of Africa, and I presume most of the world, except for North America maybe, you see a snake, you kill it by hitting it over the head, end of story. Had the snake attacked, chances are you would have never been on this journey with me as I would have never lived long enough to be here now. How did Sam pass away? Someone would ask. Oh, you don't know? 
poor guy was getting some corn flour in, in order for ugali to be made, but he was attacked multiple times his head by a black mamba under his mom's bed. He never saw it coming and did not have a chance. To this day, I can see those eyes looking back at me from just about a foot away from my face. It is not surprising that the serpent was in the garden and it is even acceptable that he is coherently communicating with Adam and Eve. However, his cunning or shrewd nature appears to be out of place. God created everything perfectly, including all the animals. Why then do we see the serpent questioning in a conversation with Eve and, we presume Adam, regarding the only warning given to Adam and Eve? I believe we will gain a much better understanding as we read along. So, the text continues as it is written. Did God really say, You must not eat of any of the fruit in the garden? Notice the subtle doubt being mixed with truth. Notice the slyness of asking as if innocently something that both the serpent and Eve knew. The question doesn't sound like, didn't God tell you that you could eat of all the fruits from the garden? Which would be 99% correct, to which Eve may have answered all but one, and maybe dismissed any further engagement regarding this topic. This is, however, not the case here. The serpent asks if God had told them not to eat of any of the fruit from the garden, which was 99% wrong, and the only truth in the statement was, you must not eat. By highlighting the forbidden aspect, the only thing God told Adam and Eve not to do, he admitted the object of mystery and desire. Does this concept sound like real life to anyone? We all find ourselves curious about the unknown, and some of us even thrive on finding the forbidden and almost experience an adrenaline rush as we do what we clearly know we shouldn't be doing. I can even go further to suggest that even in the wild kingdom, some animals, knowing that they shouldn't be doing something, end up doing it, and the evidence can be studied from the reaction of the animals once being found out. I live in Toronto, where raccoons, with their bandit-like camouflage, terrorize every garbage and green bean searching for food. These animals, closely related to bears, have evolved or more precisely have adopted stealth-like skills and tactics that are comparable to a teenager's mindset in it may seem. They break into homes, unlock doors and latches, remove any barriers from the way, and then go on to spread out a buffet of all your garbage and green bean contents. It seems like no matter what tactics we devise and actually engineer in order to keep them away, they always find a way. Our multi-million dollar creations are no match for this highly adoptive creature that appears cute on the outside but can be wildly vicious. Neighbor after neighbor, my next door families, remained on a constant battle of wits with some regular resident raccoons who kept and keep multiplying. 
There was once a time when I, just as the rest of my neighbors, put a large rock on top of a green bin so as to deter any raccoon visitors. Well, a young juvenile was determined to get his way and so he approached our bin and after careful examination, tipped it over, dislodging the rock, which then got my attention and I stepped outside just as the raccoon ran to a safe distance of about 15 to 20 feet and then stopped to look at me. I pretended to chase him and he quickly ran off and disappeared in the cover of darkness. I then righted the bin, closed the latch of the bin, which is supposed to be raccoon proof by the way, placed the rock back on top of the bin and resumed my regular evening schedule. No sooner had I relaxed, came the sound of the rock being tipped over by a relentless and smart animal. And so I rushed outside to find that the raccoon had again ran off, this time to about a 25-foot distance, and was looking at me while half hiding behind the corner of my house. This time, I took a small rock and attempted to scare off the raccoon once and for all, threw it towards him, but of course, he darted away well before I even had a chance to throw a stone towards him. I then latched the lid again, but this time, I turned the bin around to make the lid face my wall with the latch facing down and the bin laying flat on its side. I thought to myself, surely, not only is this too much work for the raccoon, but he must now be a little afraid for his life. I reasoned to myself that it must be too risky for him to return, but I was wrong. For the third time, the raccoon came over, pushed over the rock I had on top of the side-laying green bin, and was unlatching it when I stepped outside. This time though, upon my approach, the smart and persistent creature ran off and disappeared into the darkness. I had had enough. I took my green bin place it inside my house and called it a night. My green bin remained safely inside my locked house, but my neighbors wasn't so lucky. It seemed as if the delinquent juvenile went away and came back with his gang members and together they terrorized our neighbors garbage and green bin. It was as if they had meticulously taken everything from the bins, spread it out like a large feast, and then sat down to enjoy a, a feast, a, 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 fun, a fine meal. Sorry. Oh, did I mention that the neighbors also had a rock on top of their green bin? Needless to say, I now place a large brick weighing over 50 pounds on my green bin and I can finally have some peace and quiet for now anyway. This concept of not only seeking the forbidden but also not taking responsibility when caught with our hands in the proverbial cookie jar is a concept we'll further engage in as time goes on and as we get some context from what is written. Who or what possessed the serpent to end up taking the role of tempter? We're currently not informed, as it is written, and so it will be wise to continue with the narrative so as to get more context. Really? He asked the woman. Did God really say you must not eat any of the fruit 
in the garden? Please note that the serpent was communicating with Eve, but Adam is presumably nearby. Why did the serpent decide to address Eve? Maybe it is because it was Adam who received first-hand instructions regarding what to do and the warning of what not to do. And then he was supposed to relay the information to Eve and every other subsequent human from his offspring. So while given the lordship over all creation, it was also Adam who received the warning from God himself regarding the consumption of the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For it is written, you may freely eat any fruit in the garden except fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of its fruit, you will surely die. Maybe the next thing to come out of Adam's mouth should have been, Then Lord, may I have permission to cut it down in order to prevent anyone for all, for all time from ever disobe disobeying this one command? Or at the very least, in all due respect, God, could we maybe plant it where no one will ever be able to get it? Or maybe, in wisdom, Adam could have said, God, you know everything because you're all-powerful and created everything for your own joy and purposes. Because you're all-knowing, you must know that the temptation from within, and maybe even from without, will be too much, and I'm afraid, and will end up, um, sorry, and I am frail, and will end up failing. Could you please remove the temptation from my heart as well as this physical temptation so we may never have conflict? If Adam knew any better, maybe he would have taken this warning more seriously. Adam did not know of anything bad or evil as good was all he knew, ever realizing the difference between good and bad. How many times have you and I done something wrong even while knowing it was wrong? While co-educating a class of grade 7 and A's at a child and youth, uh, as a child and, uh, at a child and youth worker capacity, I decided to do a little experiment first to teach my students about themselves, but also to give me more insight on the human heart. I stood in front of the classroom and challenged my students to be honest with their answers to the question I was about to ask. Because I had built a pretty good rapport with this youth, indeed, I expected complete honesty. Okay, I started. Do any of you remember being full of love for your family at some point in your life? Please raise your hand. All but one, quote-unquote, cool students' hands went up. Thank you. I continued. You can put your hands down. Now, please raise your hand if you have ever been really, really mean to any of your family members knowingly. Again, all hands went up but that one of the students. One of the students even said out loud, I was once really mean to my family member, and even though I knew that I was being really hurtful, I enjoyed it and didn't want to stop. I thanked my students, 
and after a quick debrief, we moved on to the next lesson. I'm not too sure about my students, but this was another powerful lesson confirming what I already knew. Deep inside each of our hearts lay the deepest, darkest, most evil intentions that the world has ever seen, and maybe some that we haven't yet seen. Was this also the case with Adam? Was there evil lurking deep within him? Where would it have come from? Again, God created everything perfect. So, why this darkness? Death The warning to Adam came with the strictest of consequences, namely death. Again, Adam did not know of death yet, and maybe it would have served him well to ask for an explanation or at least ask God to elaborate more regarding what death meant. Death is the most painful of our human life's experiences, and it is even evident again in the animal kingdom. It is interesting that most people do not like the topic of death, even though it is the surest and guaranteed experience for all those with life, both plants and animals alike. Even those who wish death upon themselves, when finally facing this inevitable part of life's journey, are for the most part scared of the unknown. I am 100% certain that this introduction of death was never God's intended destination for each life, and the proof lies in the evidence that he brought forth all life. He himself is life eternal, and also, why would he create and then place a tree whose fruit gives eternal life if he was not interested in life to the fullest? God definitely wants his creation to have life, and indeed, life to the fullest. So why this tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Why not just the tree of eternal life? I have a theory, and my theory is this. Since we find ourselves here on earth, and in this dimension, we can see and understand we must leave space and time for other dimensions to occur, maybe an unlimited amount of dimensions. Okay, I'm not here insinuating a multiverse scenario where randomness and chance and unlimited time combined with mindlessness provide universes where life can occur. No. I am suggesting that an infinitely creative mind with unlimited, with unlimited powers is able to bring forth an unlimited number of dimensions and even multiverses along with an unlimited number of occurrences in those multiverses. For our purposes, could God have created a world where the tree of the knowledge of good and evil does not exist? Or maybe where everything is status quo, but the Adam and Eve there never disobey the direct instruction not to eat of this fruit? Before moving forward with the narrative, Let's bring forth a few different scenarios that could have gone on. We are not yet told how, how it is that 
one of God's perfect creations, the serpent, was able to co coherently communicate with the human species. Again, this is a mystery by itself. There are those we observe as being highly in tune with the animal kingdom. People such as snake charmers that appear to almost communicate understandably with those animals they care for. Whether it is elephants, gorillas, lions, eagles, dolphins, crocodiles, or household pets such as cats and dogs. Some will even claim that they are so attuned with these animals they can share thoughts and even empathize with each other. Another inquiry is how did he differ from perfection to slyness? As a, as a mutual, sorry, as a mental disease poisons one mind to cause them to have personality disorders that influence their decision making and often in the negative, is this what happened to the serpent? That a disease invaded his mind making him bipolar and causing him to make Eve question a direct order from the creator? I'm not sure, but by the use of the word shrewd or cunning, it is implied that the serpent knew exactly what he was doing. This is not a mindless action from the snake. Uh, it appears um, thought through and maybe even well calculated, formulated, and then executed in surgical precision. Again, it seems as though there is much more to this story than what we have so far. With the intention of only concluding or making up our minds after careful research on what is written, I would like to continue along with the narrative here, and we will hopefully get a clearer picture as we read on the text. One thing is for sure. If Adam and Eve knew of the consequences of their actions, they would not have ever stopped to speak to the serpent. As soon as the snake questioned what God had instructed Adam, and then Eve, they should not have even answered him. They should have only depended on God's instructions in the warning he had given and carried on with their lives. This Garden of Eden was like nothing that we can comprehend. In all the beauty we see in nature, nothing can possibly compare to a garden tended by the one who created it. I know that we still have many questions, such as, it is written that God created all the animals, birds, and fish. How is it now that in the garden, he is forming them and then bringing them to Adam for naming purposes? Could we deduce that maybe indeed more context is being given in the sequence of events happening on the sixth day? I tend to think so, since this is what's written. God formed every kind of animal and bird from soil. Either way, I don't believe that questions like this derail what is written along with its simple narrative and sequence of events. Main points is that God created everything. The relationship that Adam has with God appears very inviting and personable. The Creator God seems to be humbling himself so much so as to be totally understood by Adam, and isn't this the way we are finding the Bible written? I mean, the Bible is, is, is the inspired word of God 
but exclusively written for men. It is for our sake, benefit, that these biblical narratives were recorded. Next time you pick up your Bible to read it, why don't you look at it as a love letter to you individually from the one who created you? It will make much more sense in that context. Furthermore, instead of hardening your heart as you read along, imagine that you're being given context on life and how you're supposed to live with the creation you were put in charge of as well as with those that are of your kind, the humankind. Grasp the picture that God wanted you to have full knowledge of exactly what he did in the past, what he is doing now, as well as what he will do in the future. As you read along, assume you are Adam and Eve, and then every other character that will be mentioned in the scriptures, since we are all absolutely capable of everything that will be revealed as it is written. As you continue finding for yourself in the translation you are led to read, hear the words of God timelessly speaking to you and your kin regarding everything to do with life. Not only will you be amazed of just how similar all of all us humans are, you will also come to know God's character in all of this. Why did God choose to reveal himself in this way? Why did he create everything we see and also all that we don't see? Why did he create us? Why is he choosing to reveal himself in this manner? Why put his creation over uh, in charge over everything created while knowing full well what will happen? Why create people in his image and then give them the ability not only to adamantly disgrace, uh, disagree with them, sorry, but also militarily reject, teach others to do the same and then destroy his creation as we observe? Why allow them to continue living? If you were God, is this the way you would have created and then put all the natural events on rotation along with creating mankind as he is? What inspires God to do all that he does? Again, I can only conclude that it is by love that God formed and created everything like it is. It is by love that he put the stars in the sky, the animals on land, the fish in the seas, and the birds we admire. It is by his love that he set life-sustaining natural laws to continue with his objective of procreating each species after its own kind, each tree and plant after its kind, and every living being after his own kind. It is by his great love that he decided to make Adam, therefore, all of humanity after his kind, in his own image, fashioned with the ability to do the greatest works, just as he does. It is by the agape love that God, being all-knowing and knowing full well what would transpire, give Adam and Eve a complete free will to do with it as they please. Just as a parent wants the little one of the impending danger and consequences of certain behaviors and actions, so did God give Adam and Eve clear directives on how to conduct their lives. They were given only one warning. 
You and I are Adam and Eve. From this point on, please know that God is addressing you and I in everything He says, as we are all His children. Everything He says is true, it is beneficial, and above all, it is based on an all-encompassing love, an eternal love, a love with no limits. May this truth ring true to all of us. Until next time, I love you, and God loves you infinitely more. Be blessed.